1: like kobe in the fourth quarter this is the day more nba podcast brought to you by blue wire podcasts your we're just kidding we're not making any trades podcast we had that one on their bingo card nothing no moves at the deadline for the timberwolves 27 teams made a trade the timberwolves did not am i shocked by that i don't know i mean kyle and i talked about the possibility of this last night but i think if i'm being honest i did expect Something, you know, even if it was very small, you know, Vanderbilt, Lehman, something like that, but, but Gerson Rosas and company in the front office, they, they kept the powder dry and on tonight's pod, we're going to get into why, uh, Rosas gave a long 20 plus minute press conference this afternoon about what the Wolves didn't do. And it was actually, sounds dumb, but it was actually one of my favorite, uh, Rosas pressers over the past years, because it was, uh, he was honest, you know, he, he explained himself, uh, not just about the deadline, but just kind of about the season as a whole. You know, why this team is 10-33. and 33. And, I mean, with that, you just kind of have to be honest, right? Like, he, he didn't just talk about the potential of this roster or make excuses for the record and the way it is. I mean, that, I think he was smart. He knows that that stuff would feel kind of played out. Instead, he used he used words like failure, talking about kind of how the power forward position has come together. And he talked about how the point guard position, quote, hasn't been good frequently this season. I think for me at least, like when you admit what clearly hasn't worked, it makes it easier for me to hear you when you do talk about positives. And, you know, I mean, Ross is just, he acknowledged the full picture exists, that some of it is nice and that some of it is gross. So I'm going to kind of roll through some of those more relevant sound bites from that presser, like I often do in the, you know, in the game pods, and then, you know, kind of let you know what I take from from the commentary that Rosas gave. And the place to start, and it's where the press conference started, is is just kind of with the question of, what the hell? You know, thought you were a big trade guy. Chris Hine of the Star Tribune, he teed it up a little bit neater than that, but Chris did highlight the fact that Rosas has stated in the past that trades are the main way that this team can change the rosters, the way they're going to build. And here's what Rosas had to say to that.
0: What led into the decision not to pull the trigger on any
2: moves this year? Yeah, no, you know, trade is a major vehicle of our team building, uh, but considering that we've done nine, 10 trades over the last 18, 24 months, uh, there is a period of time where you got to see what you have and you have to evaluate it. Uh, I don't think there's any other team that's more aggressive than us in the NBA in terms of pursuing opportunities. Uh, but at the same time, the reality of it is the purpose behind the trade, uh, why you do what you do. Uh, I think we've been very aggressive and productive in the past with that. Uh, this deadline, like every deadline is different. Uh, we pursued all, all the options that were available. Uh, and in a lot of ways, uh, you have to have a reason to make a trade. You don't make a trade for the sake of making a trade. Um, I, I like the group we have, uh, I, you know, we haven't seen this group together enough, uh, starting with our best two players and everybody else. Um, and that played a big part in it. Uh, we want to see what we have in order to make uh, the best educated decisions we can
1: make. It is a fact that this team's path to change the roster is through the trade market. Not only will they not have cap space anytime soon, they are already up against the luxury tax and on their way into the tax for next season. They, they cannot go out and sign any big-name free agent this offseason. It's literally impossible, even if that player wanted to sign here. And right now, they can't even go out and get a same a small you know player with the mid-level exception because doing that will rocket them another $10 million into the luxury tax. So trades are the avenue or major vehicle, as, as Rosa said, to, to build out this team. And they didn't make any trades so the question is why you know why didn't they make a move and i mean part of this is obvious right it was the (laughs) it was the trade deadline it's buyer versus seller season i mean you have the worst record in the league so being a buyer doesn't exactly make sense i mean the majority of the time we know this right like at the deadline you have to overpay to buy you know, if they if they wanted to buy at all, a veiled buy, you know, the path would have been a deal like the Wiggins for D'Lo trade last year, where you're swapping out similar assets. In that case, similarly negative assets that you know, in a way that theoretically helps you down the road. Bad contract for bad contract, rounding out compensation on the margin. You know, I call that like a half buy. That's what the D'Lo for Wiggins trade was. Trading for Aaron Gordon would have not been that. That would have been a straight up buy. It would have been different than trading for D'Lo. I mean, no matter what you think about D'Lo, he was a piece when the Wolves got him that had three years left on his contract after that season. Aaron Gordon has one year left on his deal. That would have made it a different type of acquisition. You know, it would have been an extended rental. Gordon was traded for Gary Harris, who's scheduled to make $20 million next season, and also for R.J. Hampton, who is the number 24 pick in this past draft, and then a future 2025 protected first round pick. That's a real buy, right? Salary fodder, a young player and a future first. If the Wolves wanted to make a real buy, you know, their equivalent to that would have been, you know, Ricky Rubio who was scheduled to make 18 million next year, similar to Harris, or you know if they wanted to get really wanted to juice it, it would have been Malik Beasley. Then for the young player it would have been Jaden McDaniels who went four picks after RJ Hampton or you know I don't know maybe the better example is Leandro Barmaro, who went one pick before Hampton. And then the draft pick would have been a future Wolves first. I mean, we can't know exactly what Orlando would have demanded in that trade. So we can't know exactly what the Wolves package would have been, but Rosas did say at the presser that the Wolves could have acquired a quote high end player, but that it would have cost a young player. So does, does that mean it would have been McDaniels? Does that mean it would have had to have been Beasley? I, I don't know. You know, that's just that's just what the the deal would have been there and you're giving up a lot but that's a full buy the half buy option in theory would have been a trade for john collins right there's a framework there for a half buy that would have made some sense on the surface you know similar to how the wolves swapped out similar value players in wiggins for gilo like theoretically the wolves could have swapped beasley for collins but much like wiggins for gilo you know the wolves would have been getting the more valuable asset there. They would have had to pay additional compensation in the half-buy for Collins. So what would have that been? You know, would McDaniels have done it? Obviously, we've talked about this. I know there's the report out there that Beasley and a a first would have done it. But what I've heard, Atlanta was not interested in that and that the reported deal would have required a third team to make the values match up. Either way the Wolves didn't make that half-buy happen because they weren't they weren't willing to pay the additional compensation in addition to Beasley to get Collins back. You know, paying for Collins would have been a half-buy because because it would have been more long-term simply because you get Collins' rights at the end of the season. Unlike Gordon, who again, just had one more year. You know, you land Collins, you get the right to retain him in free agency to match any offer. So you're talking about four more years of Collins after this year, three more than Gordon would have been. But obviously that trade didn't happen either. So, so why, right? Gerson has said that power forward was their main target and that they aggressively pursued it. But when Britt pushed him on that, Rose has also said that, you know, the supply of available power forwards out there was less than the demand. And I'm rusty on my economics, but I'm pretty sure that translates to the price being too high. So I think, you know, that just suggests that it would have taken a ton or would have taken, you know, the more high end upside, high end of those trades, the McDaniels and the Beasley part of it to get a deal done. But beyond Rosa's answer to that part of the question about the power forward thing, he really, he went into the power forward position as a whole. And I, I found this answer to be pretty interesting.
2: Gerson, at the beginning of the season, uh, you were kind of restless about the status quo with power forward. And I'm wondering, a lot has happened since then. You know, uh, Vanderbilt has played more. McDaniels has played more. You've got a new coach. uh, Wancho's uh, come back a little bit more. And there's been a lot of changes in some respects stylistically around the league. And I'm wondering what your take is now. Do you think that on the roster right now, you're able to better address Uh, the needs you see at Power Forward than you saw at the beginning of the season? Britt, that's, you know, I think that was probably our our biggest priority going into the trade deadline. And uh, to your point, uh, you know, we we try to develop the answer to that question internally through our roster. I think we've shown signs of potential, but we've also shown signs of failure. Uh, I've been focused on making sure that we can get a frontline guy. a, a guy that that is is an upgrade to what we have uh, if we can't develop it internally uh, I think Jaden has made it a little challenging uh, with his versatility and his ability he's got he's an enigma man he's he's probably a two guard in body and a forward in game defensively uh, but can we get his physicality up can we get uh, his body to a level where he can withstand that I think one of the unique things and i referenced last night but that guy can defend anywhere on the court um, which gives us a lot of versatility and uh, whether he's going to be a long time four or a three um, it gives us an opportunity to match him up with somebody that uh, he can compliment whether it's cat or uh, or another four but uh, power four was a big priority for us there was a it was uh, the supply was not as high as the demand uh, which you could see in some of the trades that took place Uh, and I think that speaks, and Britt, you'll appreciate this, but I think it speaks to where the game is going, uh, in terms of, you know, what is a power forward in this modern game, and uh, are we seeing the early cycling of the two bigs back, and what does that mean for basketball? Um, and we've studied all of that. Our staff, from a basketball perspective, from an analytical perspective, are looking at all of that because you don't want to be behind.
1: You don't want to be behind. Now, I wouldn't say that was a full-on
2: indictment of the
1: way the team is being built, but that is certainly offering up the possibility that you are reassessing the plan that has been in place at the power forward position since Rosas took over and traded away Dario Saric. You know, from Covington to Wancho to Lehman to Okogi, you know, back to Wancho, the small ball plan at the floor just hasn't worked at all for the Wolves these past two years. And that answer sounds like Rosas not only acknowledging some of that failure, but a willingness to kind of reconsider that blueprint as a whole. Now, the complicating factor, here, which I think is fair, as Rose has mentioned, is McDaniels. He is the most intriguing power forward on the roster. That's fair. He does seem like he has a real shot at being legit in that role. Yet at the same time, McDaniels is definitively a small ball option at the four. I think that is part of their hesitation in making a move to acquire a power forward today. Maybe they're still trying to figure out you know, what the best archetype of four to put next to Cat is in this modern NBA. I don't know what it is. And with that, you know, it would be reasonable for them to consider McDaniels as an option. If it's a question mark, I mean, maybe McDaniels is that question mark. I mean, say they would have traded for John Collins. Well then, and you've kept McDaniels, if you could pull that off. Well, then you've pigeonholed McDaniels into the small forward spot, right? Because you've got Cat at the five, Collins at the four. There's not really room in the front court. And with that, you've kind of punted on the idea, even if it's not a likely scenario, you've punted on the idea that McDaniels could be the power forward of the future. You know, without an, an appetizing deal out there, I understand the hesitation. McDaniels might be the power forward of the future. Beyond the power forward position, Rosa also... Rosa's also talked more broadly about the rest of the roster. He was asked about, you know, the two most obvious question marks that are about to strike this team in the next week or so. You know, one, how the hell is this exactly going to all work when Beasley and Russell return? And then two, you know, what's going to happen when Dilo and Rubio are both here and <laughs> there's only one starting point guard spot? So the looming question in the next, you know, seven to 14 days is what this group looks like when it starts to become top-heavy with four players that have all shown to be high-usage players. You know, how will the returns of Beasley and Russell not only fit, but impact, you know, the pretty critical development of Anthony Edwards? Rosa spoke to this when he was asked by Chip Scoggins of the Strive about it. Uh, Gerson, you said that the recent development of Edwards was critical and changed the dynamic of the
0: team now that you're going to be adding and Russell and Beasley back, how do you not disrupt what you're seeing from Edwards?
2: Uh, I think Coach has spoken to this, Chip. Um, you know, when you have the need as a young player and, uh, and is showing the ability to produce at a high level that's beyond his age, beyond his experience for sure, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's efficient. And our goal for him to be the best player possible is to become an efficient player uh, because that's what's going to drive his success and our success at the highest level. Uh, But it will change. And I think it'll be good change. Uh, The ability to have a shooter at the level that Beasley is with his ability to impact the gravity of the floor, it's going to simplify the game for Ant. It's going to make the game simpler for Cat and for D'Lo as he comes along. So, And that's what we want to get to uh, systematically. We have to be a team where we, we can't maintain success. Uh, you know, what we did in Phoenix the other night was special uh, to have your best player in cad and your, your, your rookie uh, producing that type of production and helping your team win against the top team uh, in this league is special. But coach and I are focused on what are the things that we can reproduce consistency, consistently that would allow us to have long term success. And the ability to merge Cat with bees with D'Lo, with Ant, uh, you know, that's something that we have to figure out and is something that we have to get to. It's coach's priority to make sure that we do it game in and game out. Uh, we have to make sure that we're competing together at a high level.
1: Again, in that answer, I appreciate the honesty. You know, that is the acknowledgement of Edwards's inefficiency that does come alongside the flashes of his brilliance, right? There's a... There's a glass half full and a glass half empty way to look at how Edwards, who clearly is a player most comfortable in a high volume role, will respond to two players infringing on that usage that he craves. You know, I, I think back to the fourth quarter of that Thunder game where the Wolves blew the lead down the stretch as the offense just went through Delo, possession after possession, you know, occasionally including Beasley. Well, Edwards was also on the floor in that fourth quarter and he got one touch. The balance that Rosas is talking about, it didn't work. You know, Edwards was made irrelevant offensively by D'Lo and Beasley. And because of that, he becomes a negative because his only contributions are on the defensive side of the floor where he's currently a clearly negative impact player. And that was a game without Cat. I mean, Rosa views it glass half full, suggesting the presence, right, of Beasley will help Edwards Get better shots that will, you know, theoretically make him more efficient. That kind of makes sense. But I think the question, the bigger question is, will he get any shots? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm being hyperbolic there. But like, quite frankly, if you're, if you're trying to win, you know, should Edwards be getting shots if the other options out there are Cat, Beasley, and D'Lo? I mean, those three are all more likely to turn into a positive possession with the ball in their hands than Edwards is right now. This is kind of stacking things up against Edwards, right? Now, I mean, it's not as cut and dry as that. You don't just like, this isn't football. You don't run a play for a player and they get that possession. I mean, there's an element of this where it mixes together. And, you know, the part I do agree with, with that glass half full view is, you know, Rosa's assertion that it will theoretically simplify actions for Edwards. It should, you know, Edwards will catch the ball in spots when he does get a catch where the defense will be shifting. And if he is deliberate on that catch, he could have success attacking the rim right away. I'm just kind of curious to see what his patience is for that in that role. And what if he's not patient? You know, what if Edwards is getting the rebound and bringing the ball up the floor or whatever? If he's the guy bringing the ball up the floor, he is. what if he just takes a similar amount of possessions that he has been? Well, then that's cutting into Beasley and Delo's load. How does that work? You know, if there's an imbalance there, you know, it might even cut into cats. That's the worst case. Just the logic laid out in this answer from Rosas was the hardest for me to kind of, I don't know, I guess, see clearly today. And Rosas' trump card would, you know, he would play against these critiques is the fact that, you know, there's a new coach now. That this That he believes that Finch will handle this dynamic better than Saunders did when, you know, we saw glimpses of this group of three or four of them out on the floor together. I don't know. We'll see. The question I had for Rosas today was about the point guard position. Because Rubio not being traded, you know, in ways, shows a commitment to him. And, you know, a recognition of some value. But Delo's return also muddies the water there as well, right? Like, Rubio has played far better these past 20 games where, where he's been the starter. 11 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds per game, 37% from 3, 50% from 2. Pretty good point guard there. But he became the starter because D'Lo got hurt. When D'Lo was healthy, Rubio was awful. 6 points, 6 assists, 3 rebounds per game, 19% from 3, 41% from 2 for Rubio. You know, how much of that was on Rubio and his own conditioning and his mental engagement? Versus how much of that had to do with Russell, that's pretty impossible to quantify. But what we do know for sure is that Rubio played worse back then. And beyond that, we know even more that when Rubio and Russell shared the floor, it was particularly awful. Rubio and Russell shared the floor for 140 minutes in those first 22 games of the season. And they had a net rating of negative 22.3 in those minutes. The offense was awful. The offensive rating was 97.5, and the defense was equally bad. Defensive rating of 119.8. If not trading Rubio is an acknowledgement of his value, what does that mean when we also know that Rosas views Russell as extremely valuable? That was my question for Rosas. Gerson, at the beginning of the year, we talked uh, about D'Lo and Rubio both. Playing next to each other, and, and Ricky's really come on here the, the past 20, 20 games or so. What is what is your like outlook of the, the point guard position, and then specifically the two of them playing together going forward?
2: I think early on, unfortunately, uh, and, and, and you guys are are you know are, are tuned in. Like the returns weren't good, uh, and partly. You you can have a million and one excuses, but at the end of the day, it wasn't good. It wasn't good offensively. It wasn't good defensively. Uh, We like having multiple ball handlers on the floor at all times, and there might be uh, some experimentation with that. Uh, But the key factors have to be we have to have enough defense on the floor to get stops because those two ball handlers have to create transition opportunities. And when you're not getting stops, uh, that means you're playing more in the half court. And if you don't have the right personnel in terms of shooting on offense or defense on the defensive side of the ball, you're going to get exposed. So to be fair uh, to Ricky and to D'Lo, it took them a little bit of time to get the rhythm uh, to get together. Now that they're at a better place, uh, you know, once D'Lo gets back, I think we'll look at it just because, Hey, we're in a season where we've got to, we've got to figure out what we have what works and what doesn't work in order to move forward. Uh, So we'll look at it, but, Staying to your point a lot of early returns were bad uh we like the variability of uh of multiple ball handlers and creativity but uh you know a lot of that now with the development of uh, Anthony Edwards i think we'll get a lot of that uh without having to have two point guards on the floor and ants at this stage his ability to rebound uh, and physically to do things defensively that those guys can't might help us so uh, as you know, Dane, we're always exploring we're always looking for advantages and opportunities where uh, we can we can play to our strengths. So we'll explore some of it, uh, but I think early on uh, it was very unsuccessful uh, for a multiple multiple number of reasons, and we've tried to address that as, we, as we, if we try to do that again.
1: Pretty big indictment of that pairing by Rosas there. I mean, you like the honest assessment, but yikes. I mean, that sounds a lot like Rubio and Dilo won't be sharing the floor much. And even if they do, it sounds like a, what the heck, we have the worst record in the league, might as well try stuff experiment. I mean, really, it just it sounds like Rubio is just going to kind of take the scraps of the backup point guard minutes, right? Like, what does that look like? Russell was playing in the low 30s of minutes before he went out. I mean, I'd I'd expect him to get back to that once he's ramped up and Finch has actually been playing the best players a lot more than Saunders was. So we're we talking about, you know, 12-13 minutes of backup point guard time available per game. I mean, if so, 12-13 minutes per game is a tough pill to swallow for a player that's making 17 million this season. Rubio's also making 18 million next season. Same roster. Like if Dillo is still here, that's the same role again for Rubio next year, right? I mean, it kind of feels like The only way to salvage Rubio's contract is to find a way for those two to share the floor a decent amount. Or, your only other path to salvaging it is by trading Rubio in the offseason. I don't know. I don't really see more paths than those two. Yes, I mean, Rubio survived the deadline. That means something. But I'd be hard-pressed to name another player on the roster who's going to be under contract for next season who seems less likely to be on the team when next year starts, I mean, how does this not signal that he's the most likely to be traded? Dumping Rubio in the offseason, if you can find a team who has $18 million in cap space and wants them, I mean, that's that's a task. I mean, that would probably be the most logical way to get out of next season's luxury tax, if you can do that. I mean, I don't know, things are just really stacking up against Rubio and I don't know. It's just making that whole move to trade for him in the first place make less and less sense. I mean, Rubio, right? He was traded for James Johnson on draft night. And, you know, the picks kind of swapped around a little bit. Well, James Johnson's expiring, now expiring salary was traded to New Orleans today in, you know, the package for J.J. Reddick because it had some value in the fact that it was expiring. You know, it's it's tough to say that that wouldn't have been a better Scenario having Johnson than having Rubio on the books for next year. I mean, even if you didn't want to trade for Reddick, Johnson would at least be expiring. I mean, I don't know. Maybe something can be salvaged here, but it's looking more like a lose lose. And I don't don't like to use the word unfair, but it just, I don't know. Like Rubio's played kind of well, and now you're in this spot where there's just kind of a wall. And it's a wall you signed up for. I don't know. It just. I guess it's unfair, but that's the business of it. All right, that's all I got for you tonight. Um, I will be back after Friday night's game against the Rockets to break down these new look Wolves, same look Wolves, whatever. At least Beasley will be back for Saturday, and we'll we'll have something new to look at. You know. Then this is the squad. You know. And knock on wood, they'll they'll all be back soon. We'll we will get to see them. It will kind of feel. It's Kind of cliche to say, but like, you know, Beasley and Russell are the players they kind of are acquiring. You know, by and by making no moves other than that, Rosas is betting pretty heavily on the notion that this group at least looks like it makes sense out there for the rest of the season. That's a big bet. <laughs> and it'll be fascinating. It'll be a fascinating bet to track. I will talk to you Friday night. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out.
2: I'm feeling better, hope it never stop, yeah Green it off so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever ever